When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Avinola is a small batch gourmet granola that's made with grain and gluten-free ingredients. It's made from ancient lupini beans, which are filled with fiber and tons of plant protein. It's less than one gram of sugar and only 95 calories per serving. It's a zero guilt snack that checks all the boxes and loads of fiber to keep you feeling full. So Emma, what's your favorite part of Avinola? Well, obviously y'all already know I love the chocolate, but the coconut almond vanilla is also very, very good. Um, Besides just eating it straight out of the bag because it's that delicious, I love to make like a Greek yogurt bowl, bunch of avinola, honey, berries, macadamia nuts, maybe some pecans. I don't know, whatever my little heart is feeling. But that is my favorite way to enjoy avinola. And I especially love this company and this brand because A, it's a small business and B, it is women owned and created. We absolutely love Maggie. And if you haven't already, go back and listen to her episode. But you guys can use discount code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your order of avinola. So code PILOTSPANDEMIC. Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. What's up, guys? <sighs> um, So we have some kind of unfortunate news, but before we get into that, you guys know, top of the show, we always ask each other what you've been up to this past weekend. So Maddie, I'll let you go first. Well, since Father's Day was... This past weekend, it just feels like it's been a somber note from Father's Day weekend and on because Emma and I obviously both don't have our fathers. So celebrating Father's Day becomes hard. And I just remember texting Emma all day being like, do you need me to work on this, that, the other? And she's like not texting me back. And I was like, Emma, I just realized like it's Father's Day and you're probably like sad. And I should have like took that into account. So I worked all the whole weekend, like just to like keep my mind off things. And, um, Jesse was also on reserve. So he was gone. He was working. So I was out by myself. Um, so I cleaned my house to top to bottom and, and worked. What about you? Um, depression. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. But kind of not, (laughs) but but kind of not this weekend was sad. I mean, I, Maddie said it perfectly. It's just, when you don't have a parent and I feel like it doesn't matter if it's mother's day, father's day, it's just like those weird holidays, any holiday is hard when you've lost a parent. So 
this weekend was kind of, you know, spent some time with my boyfriend's side of the family. That was fun, but it was just sad. You know what I mean? (laughs) Sad. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't help because what we're about to talk about today is sad as well. So it's just been like a culmination of, um, sad events and sad things and sad memories happening but on a happier note but also on a very bittersweet note the petition has hit 10,000 signatures y'all yeah we're like round of applause um super exciting but it's always kind of unfortunate because it seems like the petition loves to grow um when people pass which is kind of what we're about to get into today but before we get into that I kind of wanted to read some of the new comments on the petition um bear with me folks pull it up on my phone so one of the first comments that stood out to me was my happy-go-lucky brother with a loving wife and three great daughters and five grandchildren, someone who had so much to live for, shot and killed himself three weeks ago. We are all devastated. Um, Somebody said in a longer comment, it's appalling that in the name of safety, pilots are driven to either neglect their health or try to stay off the radar. Sure, not allowing people to fly with epilepsy makes sense, but how, how can so many of their other rules be so absurd? Why can't you not fly with a blood alcohol content of 4.0 yet? You're grounded if you go to therapy to not drink at all. Why is it that Prozac, which has a side effect and increased suicidal tendencies, is allowed? But while Butrin, which does not have this adverse effect and doesn't make you as tired, is banned. Um, They went on to write longer than that, but kind of another comment that just it, it's it's literally a flood of comments y'all um i lost my husband joey to suicide in may 2022 he struggled with depression and felt like he couldn't get help out of fear of losing his career as a pilot and passion for aviation there needs to be change no one should have to choose between their mental health and their passion i hope that our loved ones stories are heard impact impact lives and real change happens Another one, mental health care should not be this stigmatized. I have seen difficulties in returning to the cockpit for fellow military pilots with PTSD or working through personal issues that arise. This process is daunting and disheartening. Everyone stumbles. Let's give them a helping hand and a way back up instead of adding more anxiety and fear to their dilemma. Um, So yeah, I could obviously go on, but we'd be here for a few hours (laughs) the whole show would be comments and it's so it's hard to read the comments and then obviously we're going to read about the person who chris daniel who just passed away from suicide but i just wanted to say like even though these things don't directly affect us every time we get a story about someone who's died or or over the air medical standards it's really like weighs on us too like emotionally em and i yesterday were in a bad spot i would say like i cried yesterday and you know it's not my loved one that's dying but we are trying to change the things and a lot of times it feels like 
we're alone because everybody expects us to do more and more. And so then that weighs on us because we're trying as hard as we can. Like this is a, a passion project for us. It's not something that we're making money off of. And so it, it tends to weigh on me at least. I know Emma, you, you have also said that. So just know that we also have our struggles like fighting for this change and and we've been doing this Emma for a year and a half me for one year and it just seems like we haven't made a lot of progress and then when we keep seeing people dying it's like a stab to the heart really um so with that I wanted to go on to read um about the PSA captain Chris Daniel he just recently took his own life on June 15th he leaves behind his wife, Tessa, and his two kids, Lennon and Lincoln. Um, and I and this was not done in an aircraft. So honestly, guys, like the, the suicides that we hear about are typically done in an airplane because they're so publicized, we can talk about them. Um, that's how we learned about John Hauser. And this time, pilots actually sent his story to me and said, did you hear about this PSIA pilot who took his own life? And I said, no. And then more pilots started sending um, his wife, Tessa's story to me. And then that's what I shared. And that's um, a lot of why we got the signatures on our petition. So when we say when people die, people sign our petition. And it's very true. And it's, it's also sad because we want people to be more involved when death isn't on our doorstep, you know? So this is a quote or excerpt from his wife, Tessa. She wanted me to read this. And um, this is what she has to say. And this is all of her words. So if you love, if love could have saved you, you would have stayed with us forever. On June 15th at 2.36 AM, my sweet Christopher Lee died from suicide. My husband took his own life. My husband was the happiest man I ever knew. Always a smile on his face, always. I never in my life met someone as funny as Christopher. He made me laugh, even if I didn't want to. Christopher was someone who made it his mission to make everyone he ever came in contact with laugh. My husband had untreated depression. My husband couldn't get help because mental health is a stigma to the, to the FAA. My husband loved his career. He loved to fly. It was his happy place, but the FAA has rules and regulations you have to follow to become and stay a pilot. If flying would have been taken away from him, I believe this would have been the come as well. My husband never would have done this. He did not do this. Depression did this. Depression took my husband and I can't ever have him back. I hope by saying this, I can encourage even just one person to realize the pain I feel is is not worth it. Chris never would have put this pain on me and the boys. Suicide is not the answer. There is no problem in this life too big to fix. There is no issue worth this pain nothing. Someone told me today, because of you and the boys, we got three more years with Christopher. We never would have gotten otherwise. And that makes my heart feel peace, but also anger. Why couldn't we save him? Everyone keeps saying Christopher had been in a dark place lots of times in his life. And my boys and I brought back his light. I want to believe that. But as the statement above says, all the love in this world could not save him from his own deep pain. My husband did not want to get help for depression because he knew what that meant for his career. I'm so sad. I'm so angry. Today, Lennon asked me if we can go to a magic show to bring Christopher back to life. My heart is broken. I'm so broken. I don't know how to go on. I have no idea how the boys and I will continue to live without him. 
The picture below I found in his phone that I never knew he took. I miss my husband. The boys miss their Chris. Please pray for us. This is the hardest thing I've ever been through in this life. I vow to do something about this stigma. I promise to make this my life's mission. My husband's life will matter more than ever before. Even if I just am able to save one life along the way. Um, four organizations have already been in contact with me to help so many across the country have shared my husband's story and I'm blown away by that. If you or anyone you know is struggling, please contact the suicide hotline, reach out to a doctor, to a therapist, to anyone. Nothing in life is worth this pain. I feel that my boys feel that his parents and sister feel nothing. And then she gives the suicide hotline number, which is 1-800-273-8255. Um, and then she had sent me some pictures, which I posted on, um, my profile as well. But, um, I think the main thing is that today we're going to talk about the FAA. Obviously we're going to go over their mental health podcast that they posted last month for mental health month in May. But as Emma and I have both shared these stories of people who have taken their lives, what the FAA is doing is not enough. So, um, Yeah. It's upsetting that the FA can even post what they post when this is what the reality is. I don't understand how you can continually stand by your standards and say that nothing is wrong. We have done nothing wrong, but yet 10,000 people disagree with you and people keep on dying. Um, yeah, I'm, it's a just, like, like you said, like, they, they are very like hardened in their stance. And I also wanted to like, kind of point out like people, every time this happens, when someone kills themselves, there's a lot of anonymous people that come into our DMs to ask us what they can do for change. And the only change that we can do is like anything you do online where you're tagging the FAA, it doesn't matter. And we know that because we've been tagging the FAA for a year now and every single post we post and nothing crickets on their end. They've not said nothing to us. And did we expect them to say anything? No, but congressionally, what you guys don't see behind the scenes, we are talking to congressional leaders and the people who make the rules for the FAA is the um, Department of Transportation or the um, House of Transportation, sorry, the aviation subcommittee. They're the ones that make the rules for the FAA. So those are the people that we need to target. The FAA is not going to change their rules no matter what you say to them. I've heard it time and time again. I've asked the FAA this. I've been fighting the FAA on this. They're not changing. That's because they won't change unless the overseers of them tell them they have to change. So the people that we need to target congressionally is the aviation subcommittee. And it's important that we do that because it doesn't matter how loud we shout at the top of our lungs on Instagram, the real work comes by talking and targeting the people that make the rules for the FAA. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I have this feeling like in my chest, like in my heart, it like, I, the only way that I can describe the way that this feels is like being a horse at a gate like being at the Kentucky Derby and everyone else's gate opens except for yours and you just have to sit there and you're banging against this wall and there's literally nothing that you can do I I get so angry I get shook up I get upset but I feel like everyone I feel like every single pilot in the United States could literally scream at the top of their lungs at the doorstep of the FAA and they wouldn't change. It's exactly like you said, nothing is ever going to change 
until the people that force enforce the change make them change um but it's just I the way that I felt today and yesterday has been one of those feelings like like I said I just I I cannot describe the feeling it literally feels like being stuck in a fucking well like Mm. I can see the light I can see where I need to escape from but I'm literally I'm so close but I'm so far away and that's why I keep saying, I'm like, how many, how many people have to die? Like, does the river have to fucking run red before we give a shit? But yeah, just- remember my, my thing I told you, so this may be really morbid, you guys, but this is how thing policies are changed is by making people into numbers. So Emma and I were talking about how the only time the petition really gets a lot of signs and signatures is when someone kills themselves and so when you put that into reality when you're asking your congress members that's what we have to tell them is like well we gain x amount of signatures let's say four thousand signatures every time person dies so how many signatures do we need so that we can also figure out how many people have to commit suicide for us to get attention and that's very morbid But then it's also that's how our government works, because as we know, the FAA and all their rules are all built off their their blood rules, or as I call them, because everyone has died for these rules to be put in place. Mm. Well, we're about to get into what they I just I can't even I I literally can't even today, y'all like I can't even attempt to be entertaining which will probably be entertaining in itself. But the fact that we've just discussed all this and then what we're about to get into as far as their little stupid as shit podcast that they made is yeah. <sighs> just breathe, just freaking breathe. All right. So let's kind of roll into that. Cause if we don't, I'll get stuck here for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a podcast that was done in May because as most of you know, May is mental health month and the FAA of course only wants to stay up to date with their woke bullshit when social media deems it's necessary to speak on it. So we did get a link to the podcaster's show notes and they have everything in a written transcript, which really helps us to dissect what they're saying. So we'll kind of dive into it. Um, the podcaster asks Mr. Or I'm like, Mr. Dr. Northrup, which is, she's a woman. Sorry, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> she's a woman. But I just associate like, you know, yes, I, know. I just associate terrible people. Um, okay. Anyways, <laughs> shit. <laughs> it's, I'm not generalizing. I love men. Okay. All right. <sighs> podcaster says, So I'm just wondering, what do you want pilots to know? Dr. Northrop, is is that how you say her name? Dr. Northrop? Northrop? Northrop. Yeah, Northrop. She says, quote, so I just want pilots to know that mental health is part of a continuum. (laughs) It's part of their normal health. And it's perfectly expected in United States society today that one in five individuals will deal with some form of mental stress or illness at any given point, certainly within their life. 
So we need to be able to talk freely about mental health and how it affects our individual performance so that we can begin to enact pilots early or interact with pilots early on in the process. We have to destigmatize mental health conditions in the aviation community. Okay, end quote. No shit, Sherlock. Yeah, I know, right? Like, yeah, like, if mental health is a continuum, like you just said, sweetie, um, and you're willing to give out the stats that one in five individuals is going to deal with mental health stress or illness, and you also want to de- stigmatize mental health in aviation, okay, so why are pilots still killing themselves, and why are you still doing nothing to change that? You literally just said what you need to change and you're not doing anything to change it. I know. Like, I I do not, just don't understand that, that whole, the whole concept of that, because she's so well aware of what the issue is, but yet she's so blind to see that she is actually the person that could kind of step up and change it. Oh yeah, like I know she knows because obviously we're going to keep reading on and she knows exactly the issues with the air medical standards and surrounding mental health. But also they were at the mental health uh, summit. Well, Penny was, but Penny G, we don't like her, obviously. Um, But I mean, they were there for John Hauser and knew exactly what he said, why he ended his life and nothing changed you know so I'm gonna keep going because you know we're gonna shut on Northrop all day long here um but I wanted to remind you guys like preface this quote before I read it because these the three pillars that Emma and I write to Congress about are important to remember when we're reading through this podcast transcript Um, so we've sent this, this congressional letter that pinpoints the three pillars to the house of transportation aviation subcommittee to Rick Larson, because he's my representative. And he also is one of the leaders on the aviation subcommittee, which helps. Um, but the three pillars are threat of jobless or really not ever flying at all in the first place, um, cost of a special issuance, and then the time it takes to receive a special issuance. So now I'll read the podcast quote from Northrop. Um, that ties into why I'm reminding you guys of the pillars of why the pilots won't disclose their mental health concerns or struggles or illness. Um, So Northrop says, so there's this belief in the pilot community that once you've been diagnosed with a mental health condition that you'll never fly again, and that the process for getting back to flying is expensive, onerous, and takes forever. So there's this real resistance to even talking about mental health and accepting that somebody might need help. And and that was in the very beginning of the podcast. So I'm like, she literally just named off all three pillars of why we want reform. And so has she been reading what we've been saying? Because Y'all, that's before the three minute timestamp. That's yes. before the three minute timestamp. Yeah, it is because the next one, the next quote is at 319. So not even three minutes in, she names the three pillars and she says, well, there's this belief which it's not a belief, it's a reality. And it's, it's her kind of gaslighting pilots into thinking, oh, this is not, this isn't real. Like what you're thinking is not true. But 
but it is. So then I'm like, you're really, that stigmatizes it even more when you're trying to gaslight pilots and saying, oh, that's, this isn't just a belief. And, you know, this isn't the reality of things in it. And truly every person who comes into our DMs about their story and going through the special issuance process, they hit on every, every pillar, all three of them, like in the first five minutes that they're talking to us about it. So I know that these are issues that need to be resolved. And I know that the FAA knows that these need to be resolved, but they continue to deny. And it is very upsetting. It's, it's honestly psychotic behavior. It's like, uh, that's sociopathic behavior. You know what the problem is. And, And it's literally, I'm sorry. It's not reality. It's fucking fact that it's expensive, onerous, and does take forever. Like, those are all true facts. Yeah. The people, the reason why people believe that, baby girl, is because that is the truth. Like, read your own sentence. I know she wrote out these fucking replies. Like, are mm-hmm. you that dumb? Are you that fucking stupid? Like, I don't understand how people like this can even be in a federal fucking office and even have the time of day or the goddamn platform to be able to even say this kind of shit. I, okay. Anyways, anyways, I'm going to calm the, I'm going to calm down. I'm going to calm down. Okay. So on with the madness. So the next question she was asked was how are they going to remove, or how are they removing the stigma of mental health? And what is the FAA doing? I love her reply on this Mm -hmm. mental health month quote mental health month. Yes. This is a great time to roll it out. Roll it out. Okay. Sorry. I'm going to start over. Mental health month. This is a great time to roll it out where we talk about how we get people back in the air after they've learned the skills that they need to respond. The big thing is just to talk about it because once you start talking about it, you can recognize it. And once you've recognized it, you can take positive actions to respond. Like, uh, meant to, uh, that you started that sentence. I cannot believe that you started that sentence. Mental health month. This is a great time to roll it out. Like that's as if it's a it. PR fucking campaign. That's how you know it is, though. That's what I'm saying. Is like they only say the like talk about mental health when it's like safe to do it on social media. You know. They know that people will listen to it then. And it's just, oh, it's so sickening that she even said that when she, when I was listening and obviously timestamp 319, when she said mental health month, I was like, oh my God, this just speaks volumes of why the FAA is even coming out with this podcast. Dude, like I, mm, okay. So she goes on to say, there's a couple of things we're looking at. There's a great model in the commercial aviation environment called peer support networks, where some people are actually frightened of taking. So, so they're so frightened to talking to us or a certain, to a certain extent that they may be able, what the, oh my God. Okay. (laughs) First off a peer support if peer support groups worked, y'all, people wouldn't be dying anyways. Okay. 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 So she says, there's a great model called peer support networks where some people are actually frightened of talking to us to a certain extent that maybe they wouldn't be so frightened initially of going to a peer, 
a fellow pilot, or somebody in the university or local FBO that can give them good advice. So people that have been trained to respond, like the her fucking little like respond, respond, respond. You're you're using the same terminology over and over and over again. Like it's the same shit that you've taken from the book and you've recited it so many goddamn times. So she goes on. So once we talk about, and once you recognize that then we can, like, this doesn't even make sense. Literally this sentence goes, so once we talk about, and once you recognize that, then we can legitimately intervene by using some of these tactics and skills that are less concerning or threatening to the airman or young person in general, end quote. Like, I do want to comment on pilot proof support program though, because that it's an old program and I feel like it's a filter. You can catch some people with pilot peer support and uh, Renee has helped Renee um, O'Shaughnessy, who's been on our podcast has helped with pilot peer support. And I, it's not that I don't think that it, it doesn't help, but it isn't enough. There needs to be more. And, and the pilot peer support is really, just a net for people who aren't dealing with heavy shit like depression that you're not going to talk somebody out of depression over the phone even if you're a pilot even if you understand their struggles because they need actual help from an actual medical professional aka a therapist if we could all treat fucking depression by talking to our friends this the 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 entire world would be a very very fucking different place like don't you think that if if all of our problems could be solved by just talking to a peer people probably wouldn't kill themselves right exactly right like no, actually yeah. like hitting the nail on the head there because yeah you it doesn't you need to talk to someone who who isn't connected to you i even think pilot to pilot it always seems that oh yeah, I'm talking to someone who understands my struggles, but also it can be very difficult to talk to another pilot because you see yourself in them and you're like, well, they're okay. Well, why am I not okay? And I don't want to disclose that I have any problems because they're trying to help me and they're in the same position. And so then it kind of becomes convoluted. And a lot of people don't call pilot peer support because they don't want that demarcation on the record because then they think, well, what's the company going to do? Um, or the union going to do if I'm not a good union supporter. Um, I feel like a lot of pilots feel like this will be used against them, even though they say it's anonymous. They do say it's anonymous. Um, It's still not trusted. And I have emailed ALPA about doing more than the pilot peer support program because they last month also came out, Dr. Northrup was in their magazine article touting the pilot peer support program. Of course, ALPA is going to put that in there because they they're the ones that head the pilot peer support program. But I asked um, the Alpa National, I emailed them and I said, what are you guys doing for mental health and aviation? Because the pilot peer support program is a joke of a program for mental health support for pilots. And they didn't like that, that I said that. So they emailed me back. And you know who emailed me back was a lawyer, an Alpha lawyer who emailed me back. I was like, huh, hmm. That's funny. So yeah, they never emailed me. They emailed me back and said that. And they're like, we don't appreciate basically that you said that it's a joke because it helps tons of people. And I'm like, okay, whatever, because you can't get through to these people. You can't get through to them that they need to do more that, that obviously, because, um, I mean, Chris Daniel, his union was Alpha, and I, 
And I told his wife, Tessa, I was like, you know, I've emailed the Alpa Union before and the National Alpha Union, and they literally just keep going back to pilot peer support. And it's like, well, why didn't it catch Chris? If, if it's such a good program, why didn't it catch Chris? You know? I don't know. I, I, what you said about the pilots are literally so afraid of everything. They're not going to do something that is so tied to their company. They're just simply not going to do it. One of the last conversations that my dad had with my uncle, both airline pilots for American airlines was my uncle literally holding project windman over my dad's head as a threat because he knew there was nothing mentally wrong with my father it was a physical problem and that ticked my dad off so bad that i don't even think they spoke i think i don't even think they spoke until like my dad died like i don't even think they spoke after that and then my dad died and then 11 months later after my dad died my uncle killed himself and he was the one that made the shitty snide remark about project Winman. And when he said it, he said it as a threat. They used it as a threat against each other because they didn't trust it. Like why else would you hold something over somebody's head and use it as a threat? If you're not afraid of it, like it just, mm-hmm. and you had this so-called program and my uncle was a very, very big supporter of the union he didn't get help from the peer support program. He still killed himself. Like it, if it worked, it would work, but it doesn't work. Anyways, <laughs> she kind of goes on to say, quote, these are the same concepts that would work in almost any arena. It's just a very, oh my God. It's just, I'm very definitely concerned about pilots and air crew. Like I can't even read this because it's just so so when i'm when is this maybe all the 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 um spelling errors is because do you think they did this ai generated like a robot did this for them uh probably because are you seeing this it says says, so when i'm when i'm yeah i i think because she was stuttering probably and um so I copy and pasted it from the transcript and they probably just did it verbatim. And also, I just want to say sorry for the ringing. My husband has an old phone connected to his cell phone. So he has like that desk phone. So that's what the ringing was. And he didn't disconnect it. So <laughs> sorry about that. That's hilarious. I loved it though. It, it gave me nostalgia. I really liked it. It brought me back down to earth. Um <laughs> Anyways, sorry, y'all. You're really going to have to bear with us because the way that this sentence reads is, so when I'm, when I'm talking about groups that have mental conditions or mental diagnoses, in general, they fall into one of four groups. One, so the first group are the ones that we know about that are under the same care that are being followed with or without medication we're least worried about them because they're getting the tools they need. No, you're least worried about them because you're literally puppeting them. You're their little, little fucking puppet master now. So yeah, you basically are controlling them and you know everything about them now. That's why you're the least fucking concerned Two, The second groups are those that are getting the tools they need, the interventions or medications, and they're not telling us So we have no way of seeing whether or not 
they are in adequate treatment or go into remission. So yeah, basically essentially saying that people who are seeking help, but not disclosing it to us, which is kind of a bluff to say, because if you wanted to find out, you know, you will. Um, yeah. No, well, Northrop is like, I don't have any way of seeing whether or not they're in adequate treatments. And I'm like, I feel like that's better because they're actually getting care that that's helping them because I feel like they wouldn't actually get the care that they need if the federal air surgeon did know. Yeah. Um, because we all know that the doctors and the programs that they tout are literally like burning garbage can from the fucking 60s I don't even know like I mean like it just reminds me of your dad's story really it's like he was doing fine until they were like well you need to go see an FAA doctor yep what happened dead literally two weeks after his last surgery literally told us verbatim stint that we placed is this amount too large but we think it'll be okay two weeks later he's dead literally Mm -hmm. dead he was running y'all running If you've listened from the beginning, you know, he was running y'all literally getting after it. Like he has always, like he always did his entire life getting after it. He always ran and people want to say, oh, maybe he was pushing himself too hard. No, he was not pushing himself too hard at this point. Like he was doing just average fucking exercise. It's not normal. What happened to my dad? It's really not normal. And the fact that we've paid for an autopsy from the state and the state won't give it to us. That's also not normal. So Mm -hmm. For, for her to just kind of have this lackadaisical, like kind of like aloof fucking attitude when this court, I want to call it a corporation because they're so goddamn greedy, but this mm. governmental body has so much more power than they want to let on and disclose because people are already so fucking petrified of them. And they have, and they know that. They know that they don't, they know that they don't even have to let on anymore because people will literally do whatever the fuck they tell them to do. AKA my father, mm-hmm. like people will literally do whatever they tell them to do just because they, this is what they love so much. They just want to fucking get their jobs back. And this is the only way that they can get their jobs back. Not the only way they know how the only way that they can. Mm-hmm. So third she goes on to say and then there's a bunch that refuse to get the help because they're worried that we might find out at some point and ground them so they're dealing with their depression without any form of professional help of any sort fourth and the last group are those that are treating themselves with some form of homeopathy to try to uh, relieve their symptoms um bitch it ain't homeopathy it's fucking alcoholism like and and raging drug addiction (laughs) i'm sorry i I did not come to play today like trigger warning trigger warning i did not come to play today i did not come to be nice this isn't the playground and if it was i'd kick you off the freaking top of the slide well the thing is number four with the homeopathy like those are like where i go to see a naturopath you know like they consider that like you know pseudoscience not helping you because it actually is directed at figuring out the core reasons of why you're sick instead of just you know being like well take this pill and you'll be better and so I think people are kind of swaying more towards the eastern medicine way where you actually get down to the root cause instead of just like you know the other form is the bottle 
but well it's also the fact that we're starting to become more and more and more aware to literally everything that is generated by our country is generated to give us some form of fucking ailment cancer some disease it's just like what came out today about the water and the epa or whatever says that no form of water has a suitable level of um is a suitable level of drinking water like basically they've come out and said that all drinking water is toxic like tap water is toxic i'm like and this is the stuff that you're not going to hear about on mainstream news you would think that something like that like a, a an organization like that basically coming out and they are saying that your water is toxic you would think that would be in the front page of the news but it's not it's yeah. it's never going to be because america just nah. Not going to well, go down I mean, that road. If you think about it, like autoimmune diseases are on the rise. I mean, even I have one now. And I didn't get this until I was about 27, 28. I was fine. Now I have like just any food I eat really, honestly, it doesn't matter what I, I get a rash. Um, you know, if I get anxiety where my stress levels start to rise, total full body rash. Like, so it's just interesting like to see like we're just set up to get sick really in well, America for sure it's just I mean all I gotta say about it and the proof is in the pudding like I've talked to multiple people I have family yeah. in Europe they've always told me this I've known German exchange students who when they came to America gained a bunch of weight literally have acne sick as a dog they go back they're fine when I was in Europe I was in Europe for two weeks I ate so much food like the amount of food that I was eating, I've never in my life purged that amount. Of, like I was eating at mm -hmm. all times. I lost 10 pounds, 10 pounds in two weeks while I was in Europe from, I, I swear to you, the only way that I can explain that was, yeah, we were walking, but it's probably because I wasn't eating processed food. Like oh, yeah. I was eating real food and it was crazy. I think honestly it had something to do with inflammation. I don't know what it was, but I came back, I stepped on a scale and I was 10 pounds lighter. I was like, God damn. Okay. We're going back, baby. Let's go to Europe. It's because like the European like food administration cares more about like the toxins they put in their food. Cause like here we're allowed to put dyes and stuff in our food. And that's another food allergy that I have is to any dyes in my food, especially alcohol. That'll, that'll just get me really rashy and gross, but um, yeah, they don't put dyes like blue and red. Those are all, all things that call cause hyperactivity in children as well. And we wonder why our kids have the rise of ADHD and ADD and hyperactivity disorders, um, anxiety. Well, we feed them cereals and drinks with dyes in them. So, mm. I mean, there are correlations to like our kids being, obviously they have to sit inside all day for school, which I think is wrong too. Um, but also it's the food that they eat. And yeah. I think we're also- Well, look at the food role. that they're giving them at school. <laughs> Like that too, dude. Oh my god, the food at school. Yeah, I could pawn my meal off, and we're, we're gonna get back to the subject, y'all. But I think this is yeah. an important discussion because a lot of people don't have it. When I was in middle school, I could pawn off my lunch meal for money, and I would get two dollars and quarters. I would go back through the lunch line, grab a strawberry shortcake, 
um, ice cream, whatever, you know, the ones with like the cake stuff on the outside. They're so good. Always mm-hmm. ate that part first in a bag of hot fries. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was perfectly allowed. That was perfectly okay. Like nobody had a problem with this. Nobody had a problem with it. And then you've got one kid that's eating. Now we got one kid over here eating two meals. And then we've also got a kid who wasn't able to eat lunch because there's no money in their goddamn lunch account. Yeah. AKA, AKA me sometimes. I know. I was like, I remember you talking about, yeah, I was like, I remember the lunch lady being like, Miss Emma. Yeah. <laughs> you've got 36 cents um <laughs> you're like are you were, gonna let me eat <laughs> no literally literally are you gonna let me eat and most of the time you know they'd let you slide but you could not do that more than twice like they would refuse to serve you and <sighs> okay okay <laughs> okay <laughs> it's, it's okay it's gonna yeah. be okay <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh my lord anyways god this is a trigger warning to like existential crisis i know because i feel like you know once you start diving down the rabbit hole you just keep going and going and then people are like wait we're what the fuck are we talking about now <laughs> i we're gonna that. we're gonna bring it back and then we'll tie it all back yeah um so yeah the, the four pillars i think it's like duh we knew about those things Um, I did like that you pointed out, like a lot of these pets are turning to alcohol to be in place of therapy because they feel they can't obviously go to therapy. So the only other thing to like bring down that anxiety level is to do something like drink. Um, So I guess I'll go on to read the next two categories that Northrup addresses. Um, So she says... She would encourage them to talk with a mental health professional or their primary care physician. Those individuals can help guide them to the areas that can be the most efficient and in helping them. And certainly not everybody needs to go on a medication. Sometimes it's just a little bit of education of skills and how to deal with different situations. Um, she then talks about medications. So I'll read that quote. So there's a whole lot of different ways we can intervene with somebody who's feeling anxious or depressed and get them back in the air. And some of the other really cool things about 10 years ago, we introduced selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs as antidepressants and to a certain extent, anti-anxiety medications. And pilots, if they are under adequate treatment and remission, will go through a special authorization process, special issuance. And we have several hundred individuals with a history of depression or anxiety flying right now on SSRIs. We also recognize that some people don't need to stay on it for a long time and they just need a little bit of support for a brief period of time. We can look at that and get people back in, in the air there, end quote. So these are all true statements, but it doesn't really get at the core of the issue. Um, medicines always will be changing. We live in a technologically advanced world and that's the thing they're, they're like touting the four SSRIs that they have in the, in the last 10 years. And we just read that quote earlier, Emma read about someone who had commented on change, like that they can take a SSRI that causes more of a psychosis. If you even like when they're like, oh, we've approved these four SSRIs, like in the past 10 years, why hasn't any of that changed? If you're saying, oh, we recognize that medicine is always changing then why haven't we updated the system? And I mean, 
I hate to do this, but I got to because they were all about the fucking vaccine. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, pilots were forced to get a vaccine. And Emma and I did an episode on that because I was like, this isn't right because we don't know the reactions that these pilots are going to have. And if they have a reaction, they're going to get their medical taken and the FAA is forcing them to do this. And it, it's coming back full circle to where they're making money off the pilots getting sick from the vaccine. Yet you've been only approving four SSRIs for the last 10 years. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. understand that. 10 years, 10 years of medical, um, medical discovery, medical history, medical findings. And then y'all had one year, actually it's probably less than a year that we turned out the, the vaccine, which don't give me all that bullshit that, oh, we already had a little, it was like already created. And then we just, and then, and then shut the fuck up, yeah. shut up, shut up. You're, they're only going to let us put four different types of medicine in our body, but then we're all supposed to take the vaccine. That's that in itself right there is all you need to know about how this organization works. That's it. Yeah. And, and also they put, so once you get the vaccine, they only put the FAA requires a 48 hour hold on pilots to be grounded until they can fly again. Um, knowing that they can have a reaction at any time, but it, God forbid you take an SSRI because it's going to take 24 months of monitoring before they tell you, you can get your special issuance. Which is so bizarre to me, because if you were to go to any doctor, they tell you four to six weeks. Like if you go online and you research about SSRIs, most of them are four to six weeks. So it's so asinine. Yeah. Like, well, obviously we know why 24 months, because they just don't have the manpower. And we're going to talk about that later, but it's, it's also because I know that the one rule they do have is they, that pilots have to have a six months of monitoring before they even start looking at their case, which is why it takes so long for them too. So it's like a double whammy with the staffing and then making them wait six months, which, um, that legislative assistant that I've been talking to says they do want to remove the six month ban on pilots who do take SSRIs or have a mental health struggle. So I don't know, even know if that will help because even if you remove the band, the staffing isn't there. So it may still take 24 months. Hmm. Y'all don't get mad at me about the vaccine comment, which a it's our freaking podcast. If that upsets you feel free to leave, but it's, (laughs) I mean, the point is regardless of how you feel, eventually it's going to be a conversation that you're going to have to have, or we're all going to have to have. And Mm -hmm. for the people that say, Oh, well, there's no reactions to the vaccine. Every single person I know who has gotten vaccinated at least had some kind of reaction within the first two weeks, whether it was a mild reaction or whether it was my mother who was literally bedridden for a week who I thought was going to die. So, you know, and it's the same thing with COVID in itself. You know, there are so many people that got COVID and there are so many people that were affected by COVID and lost their loved ones and their loved ones literally died. And, and y'all are going to have that same kind of sympathy and that kind of concept for that situation, but we're not going to step back and look at the aftermath of that, which I think is bizarre, but that's literally society these days. You cannot have a conversation about anything no more. Um, no, because it's got to be upset. all about, you know, it's got to be social media woke. So we got to, we got to only talk about how social media portrays things, which is affects people in different ways and and there's got to be two sides of a conversation we have to be able to logically question things and and the whole point of us 
like bringing up me bringing up that vaccine conversation is just because they were the FAA was so quick to approve the vaccine, which literally didn't have any research on it um, for longer than, you know, eight months that they made it. And and yet these SSRIs have had 10 years of exposure to people and they can't change anything. It, it just is like so ass backwards. I'm like, these people are struggling with mental health problems are only allowed to use a small amount of drugs and the and one of these drugs Prozac has been proven to cause psychosis so it's like I'm just so confused by them and then they're touting like oh we've grown so much we know so much it's taken us 10 years and and we hope to add more drugs and it's like when are you going to do that because I don't see it happening anytime soon because they never do anything quickly Which is kind of what we're about to go on to and the point that you made about even if they lift that ban, they still don't have the medical staff, um, which is the next point that the interviewer asked is actually about the growth of the medical staff at the FAA, which was also interesting that they asked that question because it's a huge complaint from pilots and we've obviously talked about this a lot, like why is it taking me so long to receive my special issuance? Why is it taking me so long to receive a reply? They legit don't have the manpower. Um, so her response to that question was, quote, if you go back three or four years ago, we had a chief psychiatrist and that was it. So any tough cases would go to the chief psychiatrist and that might take a minute. So we've since added to that staff. We now have two <laughs> psychologist and a neuropsychologist and three uh psychiatric wait am i reading that right and three psychiatric psychiatrists psychiatrists that are on the team employed by the faa in a behavioral science division in addition we have brought in the number of consultants that we have outside of our office of airspace medicine So we have some folks that we can send cases to. So let me count that. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, what? Six, seven people? Yeah. Six people? Uh Uh Uh-huh. Six people. How many pilots are there in the United States? (laughs) And you have six people. Yeah. And then, but like when they said contracting out, like that's the shit that scares me. Because the doctor that your dad went to was a contract worker of the FAA. Mm-hmm. And, yep. so I'm like, and they get the kickbacks, you know, from the FAA by doing these things. So I'm like, who the fuck are they contracting to? And how many pilots are they recommending? And, you know, what kind of kickbacks do they have? What's the incentive for, for them? Are they actually in it to help pilots? Like, there's so many questions leading off of that. Mm. So she kept, she kept on going. She says, quote, it's not... It's not that all mental health cases go really quick because quite frankly, some of them are very mixed and very complicated, but we do everything in our power to get a yes while preserving the safety of the national airspace. Because that is the most important thing is safety, making sure that we don't put somebody in a position where where they could subtly or suddenly become incapacitated. Um, Wow. Okay. Okay. So I don't know. It's, it's just everything that they say is so inconsistent, like so inconsistent. Y'all care about safety. We're all about safety, but yet like half of the shit that you're holding up people's medicals for is stuff that happened to them when they were children. 
and they've already like done gone down that road been cured are fine but that's what y'all care about that's what y'all want to hold somebody's medical up for another six months about is something that happened to them when they were a kid like yeah it just reminds me of our episode with goose and him going through the ssri process and him saying like I did all the tests that they required for my SSRI and the uh, anxiety diagnosis that he had. And then he said he was like 13, 14 months in. And then the FAA come back and said, well, we need you to go to a pulmonologist or cardiologist because we saw when you were eight years old that you had like some weird heart palpitation. And we want to make sure that, that your heart's still okay. But never mind the fact that he already held a first class medical before that point. So that's why I'm like, why are they digging into these files when it has nothing to do? And I guess like in a way, anxiety can affect your heart, but he already held the first class medical. So why are they digging into it? And he was cleared by his doctor when he was a child. So why do we have to bring it back up? That's the thing. And so that's another $1,200 that Goose spent to get that test so that he could move on with that authorization. And it took him 24 months to get his SSRI special issuance because of that whole process that they have. So it doesn't really, for me, I'm like, I don't think anything 18 and under, they should be able, those medical files, I feel like should be sealed. And obviously you can make a case for why they shouldn't be, but it just doesn't make sense if someone has already held a first-class medical and then they are disclosing early, like Dr. Northrup says to do, that you would go back and comb through their medical files again, just to do erroneous tests like that. Yeah. Like I said, inconsistency. Mm-hmm. I guess for them, inconsistency is key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If there's one thing that's standard for the FAA is that they're very unstandard and inconsistent. Yep. Um, So I'm going to read on to the next quote. So the interviewer asks, if I'm a pilot and I'm going to seek help, what is that process going to be like with the FAA? So Dr. Northrup says, so we encourage pilots and other air crew members to get help early. Get help before it gets so bad that you're tempted to take an action that might cause permanent damage or hurt. And there's a lot of ways to do that. It's very important that their pilot pay attention to what they need. They can talk to a mental health provider, a social worker. They can talk to their primary care physician or nurse practitioner or physician's assistant. If they are so inclined, go speak to their pastor or their priest. Many, many of the clergy also have some training in mental health intervention, end quote. (laughs) Church and state, baby, church and state. I know, like, I made that, um, I made that, uh, I made, like, a funny reel about that because I was like, why are they even bringing in, like, going to see your pastor and talking to them about your mental health? Because, like we said, if you... If you could just talk away. Because this is like, America. What do you mean? Yeehaw. We the church and state. Come on. Jesus is a part of everything. Have you looked at our laws? It is not only our right, but it's also Jesus's right. <laughs> Jesus will heal all. No, but like, that's what I'm saying is like, I'm not saying like, okay, your pastor can't help you, but I am saying that why can't she just tell us like, go to a therapist. We all know that cognitive behavioral therapy is the best form of therapy for people with mental health struggles. It has been proven by science. I mean, the fuck 
why didn't she say that and that's the thing she won't even say therapy she won't say go to therapy I just I have so much problem with that because I'm like you're stigmatizing it by even telling people to go even a physician's assistant they're not an actual doctor so I just get mad because I'm like you're recommending people that are not qualified to do help in in people's mental health struggles they may be able to give you resources but they're not actual therapy that people actually need and there's a huge difference between one of our guests or a guest coming on or somebody like saying that to you as a resource to you this is this is like what i keep saying church and state church and state um baby your state we don't get to be church about this you're a governmental body we do not get to bring jesus and god and church into this conversation it should that's not appropriate. When I went from private school to public school, we just keep bringing up school. But there's a reason why when I got there the first day, I was so confused. I was like, damn, we're not going to pray. We're not praying. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my mm -hmm. Lord. Um, Yeah, because it's a public school. It is a governmental body. It is the government. OK, we there's no church here. All right. Like yeah. just saying that. If you're so woke in this, that, and the other, how do you know that not everybody has a pastor or a damn priest? Most you people know? don't believe in God these days. Like the um, the percentage of people who are religious these days keeps going down and down. And because, and I hate to say this, but you know, their churches are money places. <laughs> they want your they money, <laughs> and they want control. And I mean, I believe in God guys, but like I had to remove myself from the churches that I went to because, you know, you had to give so much in tithing and money. And I was like, what is this whole organization doing? So the fact that she said that I was like really taken back because I was like, honestly, couldn't believe that someone from the government said that because like you said, there should be separation. But also, you know, she never said it's okay to go to therapy. And that those are the words that pilots need to hear yeah, for them yeah. to go and to destigmatize. Like if you want to destigmatize stuff, tell them they can go to therapy and that it won't affect their medical and that their company will not take retribution actions against them for seeking therapy. That should be said. But, she, she but that's she, not she, the she, case. She, that's not the case, you know. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. they will never i don't know it it makes me it just makes me uncomfortable because i think about like the amount of times that after my dad died like the sick ass shit that people would say like oh like you know everything happens for a reason and we're like standing in a church you know and i'm like you know god like god has a plan god has a plan for all of this okay what's his plan right now miss mm -hmm. what's the plan right now because I really don't see how this is going to make me feel better or do better. Yeah, you could maybe say that, oh, now I'm inclined to make a change and make a positive impact on somebody else's life, which is great. But there's no situation, there is no reason for me, my little brother, or my little sister. What is your excuse? Like when people actually say that to you, how can you explain that to someone? Like literally looking at three young children and being like, oh yeah, God did this for a reason. What, what fucking reason, you know, like, and that's why I'm like, when you say things like that, it's just, it's honestly so triggering. Like 
I don't need to hear about my pastor or my priest. And I'm thinking about so many other people who probably feel that same exact way, like who have had the shit end stick of life and who have probably been told countless times that, oh, God did this for a reason. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyways, (laughs) I love to make this shit personal, but it is. I do take it personal because if I feel this way, then how do hundreds of other people feel you know whatever anyways so the next question the interviewer asked was so when we see comments on social media about reforming mental health within the faa and there's this notion that maybe we should be doing some kind of blanket approval which that shit pissed me off right there that Mm -hmm. pissed me off who has ever said um, who has ever made this notion or who has ever implied that we should just do a blanket approval? Who has ever said that? I don't know. I think they just think that that's what we're saying because we're asking for reform. People are so dumb. Okay. Don't you hey, love how she posed that question though? When I saw yeah. that, I was like, I, I thought to myself the same thing. I'm like, where are they getting this blanket approval statement from? So she is, she says that we should be doing some blanket statement approval. So that's just not possible because we're looking at every single pilot individually. So she answers, quote, correct. We are looking at every pilot individually. It is a unique decision. Now, similar cases should be treated similarly, of course, but it is still an individual assessment on each one. The most critical things that we have to get across to pilots is that if you have an issue and you get treated early um, with, uh, you know, she goes, she lists like a mild depression, whatever, bereavement, a whole other list of adjustment disorders. Um, If you get treated early before it becomes a full-blown moderate to major depression or anxiety, it is a lot easier easier for us to handle the case. So getting help early and learning the tools that you can use so that it is a much faster process to get through us and much easier to get through us. And then says, and then they won't hopefully go down the pathway to moderate or reoccurring severe depression. So as you get down to the end of the spectrum of disease, it does become a lot harder because the risk of reoccurrence at that level. So essentially what she's saying is the same bullshit she has been saying, go get help, go get help before it becomes a problem because God forbid, you know, you let this go on for too long because of the stigma that we've created, because then we're going to have an even harder time um, diagnosing you because we think that you'll be a risk, basically, that you're going to have a reoccurrence of whatever issue or disorder or whatever it is that you're dealing with. Like, like with that, with her whole thing saying that it doesn't really make sense to me because with, with Goose, even I know I mentioned him before, but he literally went straight and got Lexapro and he got lucky because he got one of the four SSRIs. His doctor didn't know that was part of like the FAA's rules. So he got insanely lucky that he, he got recommended the SSRI that is part of what they accept, the FAA accepts. But also he literally disclosed right away. That was his first anxiety attack that he had had. And he was like, well, I, I need to disclose this. And it still took 24 months and he did everything they asked. So I'm like, how are you guys? even going to rush this like 
And I just don't understand how it's a lot easier for them to handle um, if well, they go into major depression. Like, what does that mean? Or anxiety? Well, that and the fact that it doesn't matter regardless because you're still going to be checking in every six months. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter because even if I had or the person has, whoever has a mild case of whatever, you're still, the minute they go down the SI process, they will always have a special issuance, which means that you're constantly going to be overseeing them, that they will constantly have to pay out of pocket for all these things. And, and you at any time can pluck that license and say, no, I just feel like, you know, maybe we should have you go see this, this, and this for this, 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 and this. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's something we haven't really touched base on a lot with the special issuance is after a certain age, it's every six months. Um, I think it's 45. And so 45 and younger, it's every once a year you have to do the testing, but just think like, it feels like if you are getting tested every six months, it's like you, you get your special issuance and then you got to go through the process, like back to back, basically every six months. And I don't know how long they monitor you for, I guess, for as long as you're, you're on your SSRI, but if you go off your SSRI, you are grounded for six months. So it's like, no one wants to take time off work or flying here. So they've got to figure out something better than, than this is what's going on because it takes so much time for them to do anything. You, like, never mind, like, you're like, oh, I feel better. I want to go off my SSRI. And they're like, well, we're going to ground you for six months. And then I don't know how easy it is to get your SI back after you went off your medication. That's something that that's kind of like guests that we've never had on, someone who's been on medication and then gone off medication yeah uh, i'd be i'd be curious to like talk to somebody who's been like had their si for a while and what it's like kind of the aftermath mm-hmm. yeah like going through the process every six months too i feel like that would be just for me like those those types of tasks where you have to get tested and go here and there and see your hymns AME four hours away and you know just to talk to them for 10 minutes oh that would be so stressful for me um which only adds to your your struggle of your mental health struggle um so I'm going to go on to the next interview question they asked so when you hear someone say reform mental health what does that mean to you and to the FAA I love that they asked this question because even though the FA never responds to us on social media, they're definitely watching. Uh, so Northrop says, well, to me, it means we need to constantly be looking at our standards. We need to constantly evaluate whether this policy that was formulated 10 years ago or 15 or 20 years ago still makes sense in today's world. And that's a constant iterative process. And then once we begin to get that developed, then we can look at some of the other diagnoses. It really does constantly boil right back to the safety of the individual and the national airspace. It makes you sure that we've got everyone who can safely operate doing so. So honestly, she didn't really answer that question. She was just like, yeah, it means that we need to like relook at the questions. But I have like, I maintain that the standards are discriminative because the standards are based off pilots who flew in the military and who are predominantly white males. And the standards have not changed since, you know, before the 60s, really. So if they're based off of white males and we have women 
people of color, LGBTQ individuals coming into the cockpit, how are those standards not discriminatory anymore? So that those are the questions that I have because like I've talked to women in my in my direct messages on Instagram who have had postpartum depression and been denied their medical. And I just don't think that's right because then now female pilots have to worry if they get pregnant, if they do get postpartum depression, because there's no, no way to know if you will or not, if they'll fly again. And so that's, doesn't seem fair, which the FAA is never fair, but it just, those are the things that I question. And I'm like, I don't understand. I've talked to trans pilots who have also just periodically had their medicals pulled because they're like, oh, actually we need you to retest and do these things. And they're usually obviously mental health tests. Like the, you have to go back to your psychologist or psychiatrist and get a certain test. So I just, I don't think that's right. And that in itself is so discriminatory. Like to say that, oh, you're associating the fact that somebody like is either gay or transgender and you're associating that with a mental illness, which is fucked. Um, like yeah, <laughs> extremely it's fucked. So like, like that's fucked. That's just, mm. But also, I mean, women who who are mothers and who do go through postpartum depression and who do have to take medication, they have they go on medication and then have to go off. And usually their medical, if it takes 24 months for them to get an SSRI, SI, they're probably done with their postpartum depression diagnoses within those 24 months. So then they go off the medication and that adds another six months to them trying to get their medical. I don't think that's right there needs to be a different way of going about those types of things. Yeah. I don't know her, her answer to this question. I, I thought was like, you know, I, in my opinion, I think it was a spot on answer. You should be looking constantly at your standards and making sure that they still make sense in today's world. So why aren't you doing it? Well, because so why aren't you, she's saying that, but then she also says it really does boil right back to the safety of the individual, meaning she wants to do by a case by case basis. And she doesn't think really that you should change the policies because it's a case by case basis, um, which is my understanding of it. She is acknowledging, yes, things change over time, but they haven't changed much over time. So I don't think she's really suggesting, oh, we change things constantly they're just saying oh we're gonna have a standard and then case by case we'll decide what happens do not like this woman don't like this woman anyway okay so moving on um so kind of wrapping up she says the interviewer asked what else do you want pilots to know she says i encourage any pilot that beginning that's beginning to have an issue to reach out and get the help that they need do it fast and do it early and the skills are important and something that we have to help moving forward which i don't that whole sense i'm like and the skills are important and something that will help will help moving forward like what what skills like what skills bitch like (laughs) i I mean, I get her point. She wants us to seek preventative care, which is a great, like her message and like the things that she's putting across are great answers, but it's like gaslighting because everything that she's saying is a great statement, but they're not like backing it. Like 
like, yeah, we encourage you to go get help and to do it fast and to do it swiftly and to do it early, but we're still going to punish you for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, I... Because I feel like they're like, oh, 24 months is not a job loss. When we say, oh, pilots are losing their job or having fearing that they won't get their special issuance that interim period of 24 months really feels like they've lost their jobs. I mean, 24 months is two fucking years, dude. I could, you could go to school and get a different degree, like a certification in a different area. I mean, I went to dental assisting school in one year, so you could become a whole nother different, go down a whole nother different career path in those two years. And they don't see that in their eyes are like, well, we're just in the process and, and you're not actually losing your job, but then also there's no guarantee they're going to get their special issuance at the end of that. And that's the scary part is it's a may issue status. So they're going through all of this paying thousands and thousands of dollars to receive a special issuance for their mental health. And they don't actually know if they're going to get it. So that's why we say that they'll, they're basically losing their job. And it's sad that the FAA can't, really see that because they just see oh we're doing they always see what they're doing they don't really care how pilots feel so you know she does say like uh you know pilots can seek care they can go see a mental health professional but she's doesn't address like why pilots don't do that and that's what she should have addressed is you know pilots don't seek care because of this this and this which we've addressed because she obviously gaslighted us in the very beginning of this podcast about it's only a belief that it's a long process, that it's costly, that it takes a long time. So that's what's hard for me. I'm like, dude, this woman is so, so out of touch. Um, And I also want to bring up, like, it's not only the FAA stigma, it's the union stigma. It's the company stigma. Everybody has a stigma associated. So a pilot really feels like they're alone on an island. And the reason why I say there's a company stigma and why people won't go seek mental health care is because when we had John Ferreira on our podcast, he told us while he had gone through his special issuance, he already had his SSRI, SI, he held that and he got it from the FAA, but the company at the time it was 9-11. So there was a lot of questions about mental health and stuff like that. So they pulled medical records and they found out that John was going to marriage counseling. And so they decided, well, we're not going to let you fly. We're going to ground you. And he was grounded for six months and they made him go through a series of testing and proof that he was okay to fly again, even though he had an SI and the FAA said he could fly. So it's not only that there's the stigma from the FAA, it's also, you know, your own freaking company that can, you know, question your competence. So, yeah. I don't even have any final comments. I think I've said everything I can say. Okay. That was um, very stressful. <laughs> it's so hard to like, you You really like hope the FAA is going to give you something when they come out with these mental health podcasts. When, I mean, um, on Thursday, the AOP is going to have Penny G on, on a like Zoom call. And I'm hoping they're going to say something that is constructive that they're going to change but at the same time if they don't i won't be surprised and that is for general aviators so i'm gonna join that call emma you will too um and we'll see what they have to say and i'm sure that we will do a podcast on it but it's just 
it's frustrating because like they come out with these things, but they're just saying the same thing that they've always been saying just in a different way. They're just skirting and skirting and skirting around the issue, never saying they're actually going to change or shorten the process or, you know, make it cheaper for people to actually disclose. So yeah. Mm. I don't even like I like I said I just I don't even really know what to say anymore I'm kind of at a loss of words obviously Maddie and I will keep on doing what we're doing but I kind of I went like completely full circle like I feel exactly like how I felt when we first started recording just like that horse at the gate that can't break free and run Mm -hmm. it's not like there's anything holding me back well, there is a lot of distance between me and that office where I could whoop Penny G's ass. Anyways, <laughs> allegedly. 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 <laughs> Okie dokie. All right. So we're going to do fun questions because we always do fun questions. Um, okay. So Maddie, I'll ask you the first one. If you were trying to get people to move to where you live, what would be the three major selling points that you'd pitch them? It's so easy for where I live. I purposely asked this question because so many times people are like, where should I live in Washington? If I don't live in Seattle, where could I live where there's hiking and there's, and there's ocean? And I'm like, bitch, come to Bellingham. Um, Bellingham literally is right on the water. I live five minutes from the mountains. I live two minutes from the ocean. Um, not that you could swim on the ocean. I don't ever swim in the ocean, but it is nice to go down there and watch the sunset. And, um, dude, little known fact that I never thought about the East coast only sees sunrises and the West coast only sees sunsets. Okay. Back to my top, my three selling points. Um, so if you want to see sunsets come to Washington, uh, but Bellingham specifically, and also the beer culture there's probably like 30 different breweries here and there's only about 80,000 people in Bellingham so it's like a it's like a micro city compared to Seattle which I love and we're right smack dab in the middle between Vancouver British Columbia and Seattle good That's points good yeah. points I I then entire time I was really trying to think of um some for me for Charleston so obviously the first one is the beach um if you like boating culture and beach culture you'll love it here like you're literally you gonna love it here in the ocean there oh of course okay hell okay. yeah okay um yeah no the ocean right now feels like damn bath water um it's warm but it's crazy to me because the ocean here is so cold like even in even in the height of the summer it's still freezing Mm, mm. see yeah no I could not live next to the ocean if I couldn't swim dude I don't like the ocean because I'm a lake girl so I'm just like dude you see what is it with fresh water people like fresh water come on y'all I told you though I grew up on one of the cleanest lakes in the United States it's like the third or fourth cleanest lake so that's why I like fresh water it's like so blue well so you're used to that nice fresh water here in the south fresh water means like you're gonna get a brain eating amoeba um yeah like swamp water (laughs) literally (laughs) (laughs) okay so yeah i'm gonna say beach water right like so that's a great reason three history if you love history 
and you love some like I mean like we have a lot of history the good thing the one only good thing about the east coast is like because that's where everyone started here you know when they came to the americas um there's some cool like history here you know old houses things like that things that aren't so pretty about our history um as well but if you like history i feel like that's another good reason to live here we got rainbow road we got the whole downtown charleston thing it's kind of like savannah georgia it pretty much is exactly like savannah georgia um third what would be the third thing that you would sell if somebody wanted to I, live here so since i've been there this is just my suggestion but like i love all the rooftop bars there yeah, i was literally gonna say here. Uh, see, party culture <laughs> yeah. party culture and drinking culture like if you want to go out um this is the place to do it and if you and also i'll add a fourth one friendly people like everyone here is extremely friendly that's the one thing you'll learn in the south is like everyone's going to come up and talk to you at the bars like people are very easy it's like easy to start a conversation with someone if you're single and you want to move here if you're a male, this is a great spot. But mm -hmm. if you are a female, do not come here. Um, the females outnumber the men by like three. It's like three females to every man. Um, but like I said, everyone's super nice. Everyone likes to have a good damn time. Like everyone's drinking here. The drinking culture is running rapid. We got a lot of undercover alcoholism. <laughs> I feel like that's the, the culture here too everybody be drinking after the pandemic but like I there's a brewery literally across the street from me so it's hard not to be like let's go have a beer you know and since there's so many breweries like one of the things that I love doing is just kind of like hopping from brewery to brewery so those things are fun for me and I love when I went to Charleston I I did go to a few rooftop bars that's why I was like you should say that um and that was so cool because we don't have rooftop bars here it rains too fucking much we do have um we do have some good breweries I will say that Charleston's got good beer um mm. we got good beer like I would say the only other place that I've been to that I would say like has comparable like but isn't really necessarily like, I wouldn't say they are comparable, but kind of similar would be like Asheville. You know what I mean? But we have a lot of breweries here, y'all, which you should probably get Edmonds Oast and all that over there. Cause they distribute fucking everywhere, but dude, I'm coming over in what a week too. Yeah, week? dude, we're, we're, we're going out. Going to, we're going out, bitch. We going to drink. <laughs> we going to be drinking. Put the beer in the bottle for me. I'll just sit oh from the little God. <laughs> <laughs> I've been drinking. Okay. Anyways. Um, so Maddie, do you consider yourself competitive? I know the answer already. <laughs> you already know I'm so competitive. Um, yes, very competitive. I think if you ever play me in any sport, I will play you till the death. It won't just be fun for me. It will be like, I have to win. And I've always been that way. Um, I think honestly, cause I grew up with the brothers and I have a twin brother. And so I feel like growing up, I always had to prove myself because I was a girl and they, you know, boys are just mean. And so I think that's really what made me competitive. And I started playing basketball when I was in second grade and my coach, he was just, he had daughters, but like he would always push us. He's like, be aggressive, you know, push them over. You know, he was always like, don't cry. 
I don't want to hear you be upset. So at an early age, I learned like, I'm going to be a bulldog, like a bulldozer and just like be so competitive. And I think that's really what's fueled my competitive nature. Mm. I would definitely consider myself competitive, but it just depends on like the situation. You know what I mean? Um, like I'm not going to be competitive with my friends. You know what I mean? I don't think that's something that I'm capable of. I'm also not capable of being competitive with my siblings because I've just, it's been taught into me that I might get my ass beat. So, um, it's just, I think that's the, not in fun in it, literally, literally, <laughs> I'm like, so, Emma, I'm so submissive. <laughs> like I am literally so submissive and there's nothing that you could do about it. And it's because I'm the oldest of three and anyone who's an oldest child knows it's like you are never allowed to stand up for yourself you're never allowed to defend yourself you are literally like you were just like the um uh god like kind of like in game of thrones that uh hodor guy um the one that like carries around the little boy that doesn't have use of his uh legs and kind of is just always taking the heat for the little boy. That's the equivalent of being the oldest. Okay. You're just always carrying around somebody else's weight. You're always getting beat up on and there's nothing that you can do about it. You just have to submit, man. Submit. God. Dude, I will fight until like you knock me out literally, but that's for another day. So, uh, last question. (laughs) Okay, so what was the best bets? I can't. What's the best date you ever been on? (laughs) I feel now that I'm like recalling dates, I feel like I we've had this question before, um, because, or maybe you and I just talked about this, and so I'm thinking we podcasted about it. But I feel like I talked about it. So my best date was when Jesse set up a whole ass dinner. It was like a bachelorette dinner style on the water here because we live by two parks so he called someone to cater like a six course dinner on the water and it was just us oh I remember this you you better not you better tread lightly because I remember what happened last time do you remember (laughs) we did publish it we we did oh did we (laughs) yeah yeah do you remember and somebody got mad (laughs) oh we unpublished it oh god so I will tread lightly but anyways um sorry I choked on my spit there Jesse set up a whole ass dinner for me on the water and we thought it and people literally thought I was on the bachelor they're like they asked so many people on their bikes are you guys on the bachelor I'm like no I'm not and this is literally Jesse ruined himself because he did this when we were first dating like the first six months of dating and he's never talked that day since so mm. poor guy he's like I should have never done that so early I'm like sorry sorry babe um but what about you what's your best date honestly I'm I hate going out to eat man like I really do like I hate going out and doing things you know I don't know something about me the older I've gotten like when I was 15 16 I used to love to go out to dinner I used to love to go out to eat now I'm like it's too cold I'm tired I want to go home like <laughs> It's always way too cold in a restaurant. It takes too long. I'm tired. I've been dating this man for four years. There ain't nothing else to talk about. 
you know oh my <laughs> there is literally never enough to talk about I could well talk. like yeah but also you got to think how much i talk you do well you just got to listen now like, <laughs> you gotta let zach talk zach is a virgo he's like quiet by nature like he could literally like be silent for a month he is like on his buddha shit is it because he's quiet or is it because you're always talking no i do think it's because he's quiet because like sometimes we'll be having a conversation and like i really have to drag out like a lengthy response i'm like but no like really describe it he's like i did describe it emma i'm like that's not descriptive enough <laughs> you know what i was thinking that you guys could do that me and jesse did for like a home date that i thought was really fun is when i was little i used to always make blanket forts and then like i make, love a blanket fort bro yeah and then we would bring like the tv inside of our blanket fort so that we could watch tv so jesse and i did that we reenacted it in our home and just put like the blankets over the tv and turned on the tv and got all cozy and made like snacks and popcorn so you guys could totally do like a blanket fort tv night see yeah that's what I love doing stuff like that I also love like see that kind of going back to my point like because I don't like to eat out like I love going to like Whole Foods with Zach and like walking around and like holding each other's hand and like picking up like a really cool kombucha and then like grabbing like like some cool stuff for like a cool meal and then like cooking a dinner together and then drinking a few beers and like sharing some cheese that's sexy as hell cheese in bed cheese in bed we did that (laughs) recently with three-year-old age scooter that slap 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 sorry y'all that might be disgusting to some but this is my love and there ain't nothing you can do about it oh man all right, y'all. Well, wow, this is truly a ride we've been on. I don't even know how long this episode's going to be. And half of the people have already stopped listening because of me shouting so many times, but a bitch is angry. One of my most angry podcasts is the most played one. Like, so that's why I'm like, you know what? I will be true to me because that's what obviously people want to hear angry white women be angry, you know? Yes, there's something about it, man. Something about it. Oh, all right, y'all. Well, take care. God bless. Um, you know, the whole blue side up and the whole brown side down thing. Sorry, y'all. But like at moments like these, I ain't even gonna lie or beat around the bush or shit with you. It's a sad damn week. It the past week has been sad. Moving forward is probably gonna be sad when we lose people in the aviation community in situations like this it's just very very sad and then to layer it on top of an extremely disheartening conversation about a stupid ass pointless podcast by the FAA it's just like I don't really know what to say to like lift your spirits because maybe your spirits shouldn't be lifted. Maybe you should get angry about this because it's affecting all of us and like it needs to change. We've, we literally have to put an end to this. So that's all I'm going to say. Get mad, get angry. (laughs) 
Airfare, healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They've sourced more than 50 snacks from small businesses across North America. Hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they are healthy, unique, and have a long shelf life. And they're perfect for keeping you feeling great in the flight deck. Our listeners can get 50% off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code Pilots Podcast at checkout. So go visit airfarepouch.com to check out all the snack options and learn more. Again, that's airfarepouch.com to use our code Pilots Podcast for 50% off your first order of truly healthy snacks.